Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. Today, we're very fortunate to welcome back a wonderful previous guest, Christine Olson, with us today. Christine has maintained and thrived admirably through the suicide of her father when she was 15 years old. Christine aims to increase the awareness of the effects of suicide and to provide survivors of suicide in the community with access to support services. Her main focus is advocating for those left behind after the suicide of a loved one. Now, like myself, Christine is being of service to others, having lived through all of these suicide-related uh, issues, which sadly is just too prevalent in our world today, especially since the pandemic that has affected the entire world. We're honored that Christine is sharing some of her time with us. Christine, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Tim. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back. So you're now a member of the Board of Advisors at D.D. Hirsch's Suicide Prevention Center in Los Angeles. Right. The Advisory Committee. The Advisory Committee. I'm sorry. That's all right. In addition, you've been working on your memoir called Exit Wound regarding death by suicide. And all of that really piques my interest. Can you tell us a little bit about everything that you're currently doing and a little bit about your personal story? Sure. Um, well, we're currently, um, you know, looking to get back into, you know, seeing each other one-on-one -on -one again, like in, in support group settings versus Zoom settings, which have been wonderful. Um, I'm of the opinion, though, that nothing beats actually being there and the, being able to touch and hug those of another. Um, I just sat on a panel with the um, with my fellow members of the advisory committee for a potluck that the suicide prevention put on. Um, that happened about three three weeks ago. And it was great success. Um, and so just, you know, and just keep plugging on, you know, just keep plugging on. Good, good. All right, can you give us just a brief overview of your personal story? Oh, yes. My, um, so in 1980, um, after my father's, you know, unsuccessful battle with depression, he ended his life 
um, by suicide and I was I had just turned 15. Um, and it was the stigma of suicide that defined how how I was supposed to react to him and how I was, re was supposed to react to his passing. Um, and so I let that define me and guide me, which just sent me down, you know, the darkest of alleyways. Uh, coming out of those dark alleyways. <laughs> uh, I'm still stuck in some of them, though, I got to tell you. <laughs> I guess we we never we never are. However, there's help now. There's there's a community now. There's I'm not alone in this anymore. I really feel like it. I really appreciate you talking about getting help because yes. that, that's one of my speaking points when I on the podcast and the book and when I do this TEDx the. Uh, TEDx talk because so exciting getting help is so important you know there's over 300 million people and probably more since the pandemic that have depression in the world but only half of those get help yes and a lot of those are men and you know that's why I time the the term and the idea of masculinity to this whole area of mental health, because men are often fearful and lacking in trust of other men to tell their story, their personal feelings and emotions to others in order for them to bridge that gap and get help. And they think they're going to be pigeonholed as not a real man and that that shows weakness and nothing can be further from the truth. And, I agree with you completely. And, you know, this, I'm trying to help men cross this bridge because getting the help, talking to other men, having relationships with uh, trusting relationships with other men mm -hmm. is so important for men. You know, women do it naturally. They they like to emote, but men, you know, they're they're loners and in uh, the inside their own minds. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really are. But once they can cross this bridge of having trusting relationships with other men, which I've had for 20, 30 years, it's empowering. Mm -hmm. It's empowering when we get together and we yes. talk about our stuff and realize that we're not alone, that, that all of us are going through similar things and we can talk about it, get it out and realize we're not alone. And it's a big help. It is. And, and it's getting unstuck to take that first step you know whether it's a physical step or a mental step in your in your mind to, to towards help and identity with others um that can be so hard and it's it's been it's been hard for me my my dad um my dad was a cowboy actor in the 40s and 50s and he acted you know um up until his death. And in that time, especially being kind of a cowboy star, 
um, he was the original Red Rider. If anybody remembers Red Rider out there. Um, you didn't talk about anything. And sadly, he didn't talk about anything even to us, you know, the family. Um, and he had what I, I heard someone else refer to this as mental injury. And I really liked that term. He, you know, when he was born, he was taken away immediately from his teenage mom, um, who was dying at the time of tuberculosis. It was it was rampant in um, the country, another, like another pandemic that we've just are coming out of. So he never saw his mom. I don't, his mom never even held him. She died about four or five days later. Mm -hmm. And then his father left him with his paternal grandmother. Like, you take him, I don't want him. So abandoned from the get-go and nobody explaining why, nobody telling him why, nobody sharing that he was valued and loved and, and were grateful to have him. Um, and we learned after his death that his own father died by suicide as well. So it was, you know, it was definitely a pattern that nobody talked about. We, we didn't learn about these things until after, after. What, what, how amazing would that have been to, and nobody, what would, what would have been the response if he, as a man, called up his best friend and said, you know, I'm struggling with the death of my mom and like never having her. What, would, would he have hung up on, the, on my dad? No, he would have listened to him, but it was just too afraid to give it a try. And then that cycle just keeps going and just keeps going and just, just keeps going. This, this is one of the problems in, in this area of masculinity and how it affects men is that there aren't enough mental health support people mm -hmm. for men to tap into. Um, personally, it took me eight, eight tries at different psychiatrists in order to get the proper do uh, proper uh, diagnosis that I had severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. Mm -hmm. and eight times you said eight tries. Yeah, eight different eight different therapists. And he did. He took four months to do the research on me, meeting once a week to thoroughly understand who I was and what I was going through. And he accurately diagnosed me and provided me with a remedy and he said that that was the spark of my addictions which had been going on for 41 years sure and thus eight and a half years ago after i met with him i got sober and i i've never felt better and every day i feel closer to my authentic self and that's that is, beautiful. yeah, I mean, it's like, that's why I'm not, I, I'm vulnerable in telling my story. 
And it doesn't bother me. I don't care what other people think. This is the truth. And I'm, I want to help other men and women to not go through what, what I've gone through because it was painful going through absolutely, all of this. Absolutely. And Do I you didn't remember the time that you switched from where it was difficult to talk about to others to where now, you know, you have no problem talking to others? Yeah, it, it, it was eight and a half years ago when I got sober and slowly, slowly, all of my garbage melted away. Slowly, slowly, slowly. So that I could become, so that my authentic self could come forward. Mm-hmm. And this is what men need to do is strip themselves of all these preconceived masculinity notions about being John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and <laughs> don't show weakness. Red writer. Right, right. <laughs> and, and realize that they're human beings. And like I said, they have to get to their authentic self and not care what others think. I don't care what other men or women think of me. I know what the truth is. I know what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. I know what masculinity is. I'm healthy masculinity. And and I know what I need to do in order to have happy and healthy relationships with other men and women, even though I have severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. Mm -hmm. It can be managed. Mm-hmm. And this is where other men, they, they, they can't see that. And I want to attack those 150 million people, especially men, who stuff all of these feelings inside and don't get this taken care of and don't think that they need to take care of it. I've done personal interviews with men and women who, and I asked them, what do you do for your mental health? And the knee jerk reaction is, oh, I pray and meditate and I journal. And I I said, okay, how do you know if you do or don't have a mental health issue? They're like, oh, I know. And if I do, I will go see a doctor, <laughs> but I but I don't have a problem. So right, right, right. I don't, I don't need to do that. Now this was men Forgive and women me for laughing, but it's just it's so true. It's just exactly, a... exactly. And then I talked to one guy who has a, a degree in psychology, and I posted something online on my Facebook. Uh, page and it was about somebody asking me how my mental health how, how I was doing with my mental health today and I posted hey thank you for asking me how my men- how I'm doing with my mental health today and my friend texted me and said Why would anybody ask anybody how they're doing with their mental health? 
Uh-huh. That's when I decided I wanted to do a little research with him. And I asked him what he's doing for his mental health. And he said, you know, I'm in a 12-step program and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, do you ever consider going to a doctor uh, to get a mental health checkup and see what's really going on? And he said, no. He said, but I think that's a good idea. Oh, really? How, how would I go about that? And I said, go to your primary care physician, tell him what's going on, and ask him for a referral to a trusted therapist. And he's like, that's a great idea. I'm calling UCLA tomorrow and scheduling that. And I was like, hallelujah. Okay. Here's one guy out of about seven people I talked to that got it and said, all right, I'm, I'm going to go ask for help. Whereas everybody else who thinks they're totally in tune and don't need any help, mm-hmm. which, you know, I went for 41 years, mm-hmm. not knowing that I had severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring and acted out in, in my addictions before I knew what was really going on with me. Right. And it was painful. I couldn't be in relationship with people, honest relationships. I was successful at work because I was, I was being, a, 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 I had a double life going on. Got it. And. Well, you reached I mean, that one, Tim. Thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if you, keep going and you'll reach another one and you'll reach another one and then you'll reach another one. I, um, one of the, one of the things that caught my ear when you were first explaining about how slowly and slowly and slowly it changes. And perhaps that's one of the old definitions of masculinity is the impatience of men, you know, and, and generally speaking. And women, generally speaking, can tend to be a bit more patient. Now, when um, I was raising my two children, I was raising them during Columbine, which happened in um, 1999, I believe. And so my sons were nine and six going on seven years of age and it you know as the whole world was i was shocked by what occurred and thinking i'm i'm raising two sons and we have mental injury mental illness you know all kinds of different um you know, on both sides of the family, on my paternal side and my um, maternal side. What am I going to (laughs) do? How am I going to help these boys to to learn that they don't have to stuff in their anger? Um, And it takes time. What does that, what does that look like when 
I, anytime I had the chance for those boys to see me crying because I was upset, not crying because I was happy, but crying because I was upset and they would ask me, I would tell them, I'm, which gave them the opportunity to give me a hug and tell, oh, mommy is going to be okay, you know, and then they're off playing with their whatever. Um, but they were, you know, they were learning already just in those small steps about empathy and compassion. So I wasn't like, no, I don't want my kids to see me cry. I don't want to upset them. Upsetting our children, upsetting, the world is, an, is a giant upset. There's so many things to be upset about it unless we know how to handle that to the very best of our ability as we keep evolving and keep evolving, you know, we start to self-medicate and addictions arise. I, um, I my eldest son, oh, another thing that was a big impact with my kids growing up was video games were beginning. And all the, there were a ton of like the E for everyone video games, but a lot of, the adult only contact and that's what the 10 year olds boys wanted to play with was adult only i didn't let mine play with adult only but i even had parents tell me that my kids weren't cool because they didn't have these certain video games that they wanted to play when they went over to their friends i mean moms oh he's not your son's not a cool kid yet matt doesn't have this i mean it was it was ridiculous so Chris and I, as cycle breakers, which is a term I've, I, I also have adopted, which I love, yeah. you know, like the, the legacy stops here. We're going to figure out slowly, slowly, slowly what to do and how to address, not just the scrape on the knee, but the scrape in the psyche. Um, I can tell you right now, my eldest son is almost 31. He just got married last weekend. Congratulations. Thank you. My youngest son is 28. My youngest son um, has had a hell of a time with this pandemic. He had anxiety disorder and OCD as a child, and this just ratcheted up to 11. Um, and he was the first person to get the therapist. He was the first person to talk about what his remedies were going to be like and look like and change and, and lets us know when, when those changes are happening and, the, and what has been successful and what hasn't been successful. And I think to myself, like, yay, you know, or, you know, it, it, it worked like the, it, it didn't, he had no problem seeking out the help that he needed with this because it was bad. And of course I wanted to just wave my magic wand and have mommy take it all away and keep him, you know, just, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, but it isn't going to be okay. And he has to do this, the 
you know, whether it's you're walking through it or you're standing still and trying to breathe through it or, you know, gathering all your friends together and, and just running across the, you know, there's, 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 there's so much, there's so much, but I'm, um, you just got to talk about it. We just got to start talking about it from the earliest of ages. So let me ask you, um, what we're talking about here, how does this integrate with the work you do at the Suicide Prevention Center? Do you see these patterns in men and their masculinity and how they handle or or don't handle death by suicide? Sure, there, I, I, I see the patterns. Um, you know, they're, they tend to be a bit more quiet, um, shut down, uh, walk away from themselves, walk away from their loved ones. Um, I think it's just a lack of knowing what it looks like to, to, you know, maybe they think that it's like every chick flick they've ever seen and they have to like be on the sofa crying with a glass of wine in their hands and their pajamas on. And it's like, oh, this is how I emote. It's like, no, that's Bridget Jones diary. That is not <laughs> the, the real world. Um, and so learning what it looks like, um, you know, and, and of course, those support groups are an extraordinary example of what it can look like. The support groups that I co-facilitate for those who have lost loved ones to suicide um, are, are, you know, fascinating how it changes amongst the people. So, some, and I and I I do see this a little bit more with men, but I, but it's with everyone where they're just finding the group for the first time in like maybe ten years. Um, but they're doing it, you know. It's a start, and I believe um, Dee Dee Hirsch is even developing like a, a men's stag only survivor support group, which. I think is genius. You know, we absolutely need that. Just like we need it for the youth because we don't, we, we're getting it started for the youth as well, but it's not going fast enough in my opinion. Um, you know, and it's, and it's what, what is the definition of masculinity? How do we redefine that definition of masculinity? And, um, and sometimes it can be really scary. One of my younger son's best friends, he wears nail polish. He's like the most masculine guy I've ever known. He, he just puts nail polish on black and dark green and, you know, cool, cool colors. But so it's, we're starting to redefine, but it can be scary, but it's visual. 
Um, but learning how to embrace it is very, very important. Yeah. So your children are, are pretty much grown. They're grown ass men. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious to know how you and your husband, uh, how would you characterize how you were in your roles with them? Were you easy? Were you tough? Did you lose your cool? Was there yelling and screaming? Did you show emotions and love? Um, yes, it? to all of those. <laughs> um, for a majority of it, it was very, um, we were, <clears throat> they learned to trust us from a very, very early age. So if my four-year-old said he brushed his teeth after dinner before bed and he hadn't, it, you know, it's like, why did you lie to me? And, you know, I asked you to brush your teeth and it, there was never that response. Instead, what I tried to do, my husband tried to do was go back into the bathroom with him and show him what it looked like to brush your teeth after <laughs> dinner or before bed, you know, and this is what it looks like. This is how many minutes we do it. Um, and then for the next few days, I would be with them or Chris would be with them and watch him do it. And it wasn't like, you know, okay, you're being punished. We have to stand over you like a prison guard. It was merely just, you know, do you have any questions? Did any have anything popped up or, oh, I, I, I you know, or that he wouldn't rinse, you know, because he wants to go down his, his favorite show is about to start. It's like, it'll be on when you get there, just come back, we got to rinse. So it was, it was all just about learning, like showing them what it looked like. If um, homework was being done right, rather than get back upstairs and do your homework. It was, well, how can we learn how to do the homework better? Um, which proved to be the most worthwhile of my time and my husband's time. We learned so much about how they learned and how they didn't learn by actually sitting there with them day after day after day and figuring things out. And slowly and slowly and slowly it would change. So of course we screamed and of course we yelled and um, and those things did happen. My, my oldest son would also put himself on a timeout. It was quite extraordinary. <laughs> he just came into the world that way. I, did, I have nothing to say about that. It was, um, it was a very important time to not take anything personally. If, you know, mommy, I am so mad at you right now. It's like, okay, you're allowed to be mad. You know, and, and, and I, I found that to be a great gift. So what I hear you saying is that what, what's different about how you and your husband parented your children versus probably 98% of the parents out there 
is that if an issue came up, you used it as a teaching opportunity so that they could learn the right way and hopefully slowly, slowly take take that same behavior and model that behavior moving forward as they yeah. grow up. Absolutely. Although I'll, I'll, I'll stop you really quick because my husband taught me that every opportunity, every moment out there is a teaching opportunity, whether we do something or not. If I don't do anything he, or he doesn't do anything, the kids have learned something. They learned that we're not going to do anything. If we go through it, you know, then they learn that we're willing to take the time, which also proves how valuable they are to us over time shows them that and over time they can trust us. So if we when the time came to say, you know, your curfew is at 11, here are your car keys. If you don't come home at 11, these are what the consequences are going to be both of them believed us and they never missed a curfew. Hmm. I mean, you know, an occasional or, I, you know, they'll call, you know, I'm going to bring Tommy home from the party. Is that okay? Of course, you know, as long as there was communication, that was fine. But the, the point being is they believed us and they also believed us when we said sorry to them for our own mistakes because we're taking it personally. Um, and, you know, and we'll have to say sorry, sorry again. You know, I, I too have a diagnosis very similar to yours, Tim. Um, I have added, I have reoccurring major depressive disorder um, along with anxiety and perhaps, and, and I do some disassociating as well. Sometimes those events require me to apologize in case I came at, at it, you know, with not my right mind. And even though it's not my right mind, if something, if somebody was hurt by it, I'm willing to say I'm sorry. Good. It's um there's a lot there's a, there's a lot to it and um and continues to be a lot to it as we've now transferred from the parenting stage to like more consulting is that, that's what we are now, we're just simply consultants. Right. All right, let me ask you one last question. Um, oh, I've been loving this talk so much. Good, good. Um, so let's take, you've had a lot of experiences, you, you, whether at home with your children or at work with suicide prevention and men and masculinity, how would you personally describe masculinity? How would I describe masculinity? Hmm. I would define masculinity 
um, by <clears throat> patience, tenderness, you know, putting down the world off the shoulders. <laughs> Don't have to carry it all on your shoulders. Um, being able to question and not feel condemned because you don't already know the answer. I, um, I've seen that a lot where men are supposed to already know the answer or if they ask a question, it's a stupid question. Um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of the traditional masculinity that I love, you know, I love, I love men opening a door for a woman, but I, you know, opening a door for anybody. <laughs> I think that's lovely. Um, but asking, you know, asking each other, asking their partners, asking their friends, you know, I'm struggling today, what do you think? Or how are you? I'm here if you wanna talk. I think, I think those, those are words that men need to get into their cellular level. Yeah. Very good. Let me briefly describe how I look at it. Please. Um, there are three qualities that if a man possesses these, I believe he is walking down the path of healthy masculinity. The first one is strength. And we all know that men can lift heavy boxes and mm -hmm. help lift the piano down the stairs. That's one way of looking at strength but also another way is a man needs to be able to want to have that conversation with another person whether it's his wife his daughter somebody at work his son another guy he knows and he knows that the message that he's going to deliver which is going to be the truth and it, but it might be difficult for that person to hear and swallow that and understand that and, and feel that. Mm -hmm. But a man, I believe a, a man with healthy masculinity moves forward with that discussion, even though he knows it's going to be difficult. It's the right thing to do. Secondly, I think men... Perfect men need to have a sense of humor. Oh. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> men, it's so important. Men take life so seriously. Oh my goodness. And they have to realize that life is to be enjoyed. And that's that's what I try to do. I Oh, Tim, it's it's Mucho importante. <laughs> Humor is everything. Yeah, it you know it just lightens the atmosphere around people, and 
It does even more than that, though. It it it's it's a it's a connection. We we laugh because we're connecting. We're getting it. We're we we understand one one another. So even if the mood is really solemn and might stay solemn after there's a big roar of laughter, we've connected. And uh, and that's priceless. I think yeah. it's why I think it's the reason we're all here. I want to differentiate something within that realm, and that is because my dad used it, and I certainly have used it in the past, is using humor to deflect telling the truth or being honest with somebody. Uh, getting That's no good. Exactly, exactly. Getting out of telling the truth and answering a question that somebody is asking. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to go there. So I would diffuse and deflect by being humorous. But that doesn't get any, anybody anywhere. It, it's a waste. It's a fake. Yes. Right. All right. And the third quality that I think a man has to have to be healthy in his masculinity is that he needs to have some type of spiritual connection. There's a million ways a man can connect spiritually. He can call it whatever he wants. God, Jesus, higher power, Buddhism. There's a million things that people can connect to. In I think that. my eldest son calls the San Francisco Giants his <laughs> <laughs> his sense of spirituality. Well, that's that's where he he gets away from the day to day pressures. True. I, I've I've got a master's degree in sports management. <laughs> there you I go. Used, I used to watch everything on TV or radio that that involves sports today it's it's limited to uh, soc soccer international soccer and and mainly basketball got but, it. but um you know that that's that that's a a relief from the day-to-day -day pressures however if you took a buddy with you and you're sitting there, you're enjoying the game. It's a great opportunity to talk. Absolutely. If you this... think about it, it's a great, you know, it's a great opportunity to talk. I, I, I hated um, cutting you off because I, I, I so I apologize because I agree about spirituality. It is, it is key. But, but within that realm, you know, I talk about mental health, especially for men, for their awareness, personally. But I talk about action steps as well. And the importance of men having relationships with other men cannot be discussed enough. 
this is the first step for a man to understand better who he is and realize that most men wrestle with masculinity issues and they're not crystal clear on what it is to be a man. And when men can talk with other men and trust them with their emotions and their feelings, they can realize they're not alone. They can talk about, hopefully they get to solutions or decide to access the resources to find the solutions that they can manage their mental health issues as it relates to masculinity so that they can be closer to the man they've always wanted to be and be the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. A man, you know, and, and here's where men trip up. They, they want to be with women. They want to relate to women. And what do they do? They dump all their garbage on a woman. And a woman can't relate to that. She's a woman. And just depending on what you mean by garbage, just all the bad stuff, just all their well, their ego. Yeah, their ego, their anger, um, their unhealthy masculinity. You know, look at me. I'm a great guy. I've got it all. A big car. Yeah, I've got the bling I'm wearing here, I've got money, we're just going to talk about me, and I really don't care to listen to you. Got it. Well, well, no woman is interested in a guy like that, really. A woman wants to feel that she's cared about, that she's heard, that she's listened to. And as, as painful as men make it out to be, Our job is to listen to the women in our life and to create a safe environment for a woman to be exactly who she is without being intimidated by that. Right. And just ask questions, ask for clarification, empathize, but not fix. I can't fix a woman. I don't, I don't know what's inside, what goes on inside of a woman. Right. Well, you really can't fix anybody. Can't even fix men, you know, but you can relate. And, and there's a lot of um, connection and healing within that relatability. But Look, yeah, men want to fix a lot, don't they? That's that's their deal. That they <laughs> it really man. is. They they don't want to take time. They just want to cr- scratch it off the list and move yeah. on. Right. And you know, first thing men have to listen and be with other men and have intimate relationships with them, so they understand they're not alone and trying to battle their issues that they uh, that, that challenge them every day. And that a man can listen to a woman and he needs to consider what a woman is saying about him. He can't shut down. 
Yes. You know, I yeah. found out I found out in my relationship with a woman that she has more intuition and insight about me than I do. I've got blind spots. She's got blind spots too. Of course. And we and we we both talk about them and that's how we learn. Right. But I don't shut her down. Beautiful. Because you're not taking it personally. No, I, I, you know, I tell her. You're believing I'm, her. It's coming from a woman that you love who is telling you something that she believes you need to hear and you're considering it and you're listening. I choose her because she's intelligent. And I respect what she thinks or says. Mm-hmm. So why should I immediately throw up this wall and say, I'm not listening to you. You're a woman. Exactly. exactly. Which, which, which most male supervisors in the workplace, that's what they do. That's what my dad did. And to be, have healthy, integrated masculinity. Yes. The man has to be masculine in the ways I spoke of, and probably there's other ways. But also, he has to be open to the feminine side of sharing communications and emotions and listening to other women. Because he just might be that he's going to learn something. He doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> he'll, admit it to his, he'll admit it to his friends, maybe. Right. But he might learn something. Not might, he will. He will learn something. As, as I have learned. Yes. And that's, 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 as I get to my authentic self, that's been a key for me in having relationships with other women because I was in my addictions. I could not show up in the relationship because as an addict or an alcoholic, all they want to do and all they think about is the next high or the next fix that they are going to get it. And I'll leave you with this. It was like when I, with my wife, after a while, she said, you know what? I look forward to the day when you make me your number one priority in life. And I couldn't hear it. I couldn't understand it at the time because the only, the, the most important thing in my life was where I was going to get the best marijuana possible. <laughs> that, that's the only thing. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm removed from that, I've, I'm sober. Uh, my authentic self has been able to come through I've learned that, and now I apply that with the woman in my life. You know, Tim, I, I, I don't mean to disagree with you at all, and you've got me thinking on something when you've said that. Um, when women ask a man, you know, I want, I want to be number one to you, I th- what I was really asking for 
was for that man to be number one to him for himself. You know, it's like, you know, if I have these certain intuitions, if the goddesses, you know, gave me these certain intuitions, then they're um, perhaps they're of value and can be shared. Because when an, another thing that we did when raising the kids is that Chris was first for himself, I was first, then our marriage was second and our children were third, or it was like one A, one B, one C. If we weren't as healthy as we could be, our marriage couldn't be as healthy. And if our marriage wasn't as healthy, our family wasn't as healthy. Kind of trickled down from there. I, I, I agree with that. And, and any man to make his, the woman in his life the number one priority he has to be coming from a strong masculine place. I see. Okay, perfect. Yep. He, he has to have it together in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then we're both saying the same thing. That was awesome. Yeah. I love that. I learned a lot there. Okay, well, let's end there. I just want to see if you have any final thoughts that you want to share with everybody. Well, um... I just love what you're doing, Tim. Um, this is so important. Um, I'm really happy to be back on. There is, I, I, as I mentioned, there's um, a men's stag groups that are gonna start with um, Dee Dee Hirsch. And as soon as um, I know more about that. I'd love to let you know about that so you could share it with, um, with your audience on, um, on how, to, how, to, how to reach out, how to get in touch um, with, with those support groups because I think they're going to be really successful. Yeah, please, please let me know. Uh, I will. I'll do whatever you feel is necessary. Uh, I can announce it. If you need somebody to come by and say a few words, I will do that. Beautiful. I'm 24 seven. I'm, I'm here to help others and especially, especially men because they're lost. Well, I, I really, really applaud you for that, Tim. It's, um, you're changing the world. <laughs> I'm putting my head down and I'm mo I'm moving forward and nothing's going to stop me. So Good. That, that's just the the Good. Uh, the context that I come well, from. Well, whatever I can do to continue to help you, you just I'm here 24/7 as well. Well, thank you. I look forward to continuing our dialogue. Listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts and keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun. Book about depression, relationships, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects all relationships between women and men. And feel free to contact me for speaking engagements or personal and executive coaching through my website, timcrass.com. That's T I M as in Mary, K R A S as in Sam, S as in Sam.com, timcrass.com. And don't forget to have fun, everybody.